dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed the world. The power of his victory conquered darkness, sin, and death. And at the same time, it summoned all of us to give our greatness to this greatest of causes, to bring the victory of Christ present to our societies and cultures. In this final presentation on the Gospels, Summons to Leadership, I'd like to meditate on the power of that resurrection. Well, everyone, I'm so glad to be with you today. You know, we've been through a lot. We've looked at the gospel and its various teachings to us as leaders, trying to understand what Christ is asking for from us. And now we come to the end. We've gone through the passion. We've gone through his various teachings. And so now we need to look at the heart of the whole gospel, this resurrection of Christ coming in. We'll take a look especially at Mark 16 in this presentation of the resurrection. Because here you have in very condensed terms the center of everything that we do. Remember what St. Paul told us. He said that if Christ is not raised from the dead, then vain is your faith. And that's true. You know, we, we a lot of times reduce Christ's life to the moral teachings that he had. Be good to your neighbors, love your enemies, forgive those who hurt you, be generous to the poor, reach out to the outcasts of society. And all these things, of course, very important. But we forget sometimes the mystical side of our faith. We can reduce our leadership to the same perspective. We can just act like we are basically just people who then put on Catholic clothes or Christian clothes and walk around basically being normal like everyone else, even if we have a few, of the, uh, a few different customs than the rest of the people. But this is a fundamentally flawed way of looking at ourselves, not because it's bad, but because it's limited. What if we were to look at ourselves at a deeper perspective and say, we are actual members of the body of Christ, not just members in terms of like members of a club, but members in terms of parts that we are. We are the parts of the body of Christ that he reaches out in his divine action through our own. Well, that would mean that we're not just people who are dressed up as Christians walking around and we're the same as everybody else, but that we're fundamentally different than everyone else. Meaning that when you were baptized, we're sealed into the person of Christ so that he can work his actual works through us and that he can share his life in us, that we become partakers of his person. That's such a bold statement because if, if that would change everything that we do. We wouldn't be able just to say, I'm a normal person who then does Christian things. We would be able to say, this is Christ exercising his perfection through mine. 
And if my role is to be a leader in this world, then, well, then my leadership becomes uh, the donkey, so to speak, on which Christ himself rides in his kingship. That my leadership becomes the vehicle of Christ's kingship. There is authority. And I, therefore, need to decrease that he might increase. I might disappear in front of him so that his full action and activity can be deployed in all of its power. See, it's funny because it doesn't mean that my activity ceases. In many ways, it means my activity even grows and has an even greater importance but it's not insofar as it's mine as, as it is insofar as it's his. There's a paradox here. But we have to grasp it because it's the fundamental difference between a Christian who acts like a leader and a Christian leader. A Christian who acts like a leader is a Christian whose leadership is something secondary or outside of his Christianity, of his Christian identity, of his unity with Christ. But a Christian leader is somebody who's very leadership expresses and gives presence and manifestation to the leadership, the kingship, the rule of Jesus. And that's what the world really needs. This is why we need to be engaged. I, I remember preaching one time to a, a group full of leaders and I, it dawned on me as I was preaching to them, I had a whole room full of college students who were at a very prestigious university and they were listening to me give them a talk and the talk was all about the importance of poverty. And I emphasized the importance of poverty, but as I preached it, it, it dawned on me that the importance of poverty is the poverty of spirit. Because in fact, we want these people to be leaders in the world. We want them to have positions of authority and of leadership because if they don't, then other people will. We leave a vacuum of leadership that others are glad to supplant. And those others don't have the same light, the same power, the same passion of Christ. We need, in other words, a generation of people willing to step up and say, the world needs me to shine. It needs me to give the very best of myself. Here's the understanding, right? I know what many of you are thinking. You're thinking to yourself, well, hang on. If I do that, then I'm advancing myself and not Christ. And since I'm Christ's humble servant, I should decrease and he must increase, which means, well, basically that I should do little so that he could do much. But that's, that's a misunderstanding. It's not that you, you should do little so that he could do much, but that you should do much so that he can do more. <laughs> I mean, biblically, we saw this time and time again. The Lord calls apostles not to sit still, but to go to the ends of the earth. And what if they were to say, well, you know what? I'm not supposed to go anywhere. I'm just supposed to be a humble little person letting God do everything. And Jesus doesn't want himself to do everything. Of course, he could do everything, but he chooses to do what he does through the offerings of people to his service. From the Virgin Mary, who says yes to motherhood, even though she's consecrated the virginity, to St. Joseph, who takes the Virgin Mary into his care, even though how, how is he to know how to be the husband of a virgin and the foster father of the Son of God. But he does it anyway to the apostles who are sent out by Christ 
to preach and to heal and to teach, even though that was the very thing Christ was doing. The, the fact is, the Lord wants to piggyback on our own efforts. And that means that we need to give his, our efforts to him. This is why it's so important for us to discover what's at the heart of all of this. What's at the heart of everything is this fire of the resurrection. It, it, and this fire of the resurrection burns so brightly in a world that's longing for victory. The victory of Christians is to proclaim the resurrection of the Savior. To proclaim that though death could overcome him in his mortal flesh, his flesh lives forever and is glorified and now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he shall never die again. And that you and I who are operating in this world are operating as people who belong to that resurrection. And therefore, you see, we have a type of boldness in us. Where is your boldness? When was the last time you approached the problems that you had in life, not from a perspective of keeping your head down and putting yourself down and saying that it was going to fail anyway, but like the bold lion that you're called to be? I am a Christian. I belong to the one who has overcome sin, death, and evil, who has gone through the great trepidation, who has passed through the deep valley. I belong to the king of kings, to whom this whole world is subject and to whom this world owes its homage. God, my goodness, what would happen if we started with that perspective? <laughs> I mean, what can you imagine how the problems in your life would have a different perspective? Instead of being problems, they'd be opportunities. They'd be challenges that brought us into victory. And this is exactly what the world needs to see men and women who take its problems and turn them into the opportunities for Christ to demonstrate his authority. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Turn with me now to to Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they had laid him. But go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him again, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. All right. This is a powerful passage, especially in this. Did you notice that no one saw him rise? There were no witnesses to the actual fact of resurrection. I mean, there were witnesses of the fact, so to speak, but there weren't witnesses of the event. They came to the tomb, and the tomb was empty. 
Now, this is a really important point. Why didn't the Lord allow people to see his actual resurrection? You could almost say, like, if I could have seen him rise, then I would believe more easily. Was it a mistake? It's, it really is puzzling because a lot of you sitting here today are saying that to yourself. I wish that I could see him rise. When will I see him rise in my own life? I know that he rose. And my witness is that the tomb is empty. But I just wish that I had the proof. You know, I, I wish that I could, I, I could touch and, and feel and, and see the, the evidence that Christ rose from the dead. If I did, then oh, what a great apostle I would be. But let's be careful. Because the Lord knows what he's doing. And for, in his divine wisdom, he chose to have no one witness his resurrection. They are witness instead of the empty tomb. And they are told by the angel that in fact that he rose from the dead. And then he, of course, appears to them alive. But the very event of the resurrection is left at, in the silence and in the, the, the isolation of the empty tomb. Why is this? I think it's very important for us as leaders because whatever Christ does is for our benefit and for our salvation. So why did he do this? When I go back to my own perspective and my work with leaders throughout the world, I, I, I see something in common with all of us, especially for Christian leaders. We, we're called to be at the service of something that's bigger than us. And our temptation is constantly to reduce what our upward call is to something that we can control. I mean, when we're called into leadership, we're called to produce. We're called to render effects that are measurable and that are promised and to deliver on the goods. That's why we're leaders. We're men and women of prudence and of decision and of responsibility who do what they say and make present what they're supposed to have done. And so what happens when we become servants of Christ is just the same thing. Well, we end up saying, okay, I'm going to do everything in a human way. I'm going to make sure that every, everything is done in the way that it ought to be. We almost take the world's standards and we apply them to what we're doing as Christian leaders. And, and rightfully so. Let's make this point right off the bat. This is not a bad thing. If you don't get the job done, you're not a leader. You can't say that you are. If you don't render that effect, if you, if you don't take the, the right, make the right decisions or you don't take the prudential judgments that you have to do, you can't exactly say that you're being responsible. I understand that. What makes the difference, though, between that and Christian leadership? The difference is in the empty tomb. That is to say that the difference is that a Christian leader realizes that although he needs to do those things. And although he needs to be responsible and prudent and effective and, 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 and wise in a worldly way, especially if his leadership is worldly, he needs to do it at the service of something that's much greater than those activities. If we had seen the Lord rise from the tomb, we would describe the resurrection in an earthly way. We would say, ah, this is what happened. We could understand but Paul is eager to point out to us that eye has not seen and ear has not heard and it has not even so much as entered into the mind 
of man what God has prepared for those who love him. The fact is that the mystery that we serve is so much greater than anything that we human beings could ever conceive of and Christ doesn't want us to reduce that mystery one bit. It means for us that, well, we have to let go of our control. And this is very hard for us. We have to say, I'm doing everything that I'm doing, but there's something bigger than me that I'm accomplishing through whatever efforts I'm putting forth. It's a real trial for us. Because we'd like to say, Christ, in a sense, I'm working for you, and you're fitting in the box that I'm putting out there. (laughs) That'd be so easy, right, to parent that way. Just to be able to say, okay, my goal is to make my family look the way that I think it's supposed to look. And so I've got a good idea in my mind. I figure out what, the, what I think the Lord wants for my family, and then I implement it. And of course, that's, that is step one. You've got to do that. But you also need to implement that leadership in a humble way that's open to the workings of Christ beyond what you can control and beyond what you can measure. And that's the work of faith. This is the leadership that St. Joseph shows us. He has to be a foster father to the Son of God. He's got to give him food. He's got to give him shelter. But at the same time, he needs to let his son do the mission that God himself sent him to do. And so his leadership is not a control, but an opening. How do we do that? This is where the rubber meets the road for us as as Christian leaders. This is why we don't see the resurrection take place, and yet we're at its service. There's something bigger about our lives that we cannot control, something amazing about the fruitfulness of our effects that doesn't come from us. There's something of the work of God at what we do. And it requires from us this humility to maybe not see the total package, not think that everything that we do causes everything that is done. And and therein is a beautiful opportunity, both for humility and for awe-filled wonder at the work of God in our lives. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. And you know, this is not the only thing that happens here in Mark 16. Another amazing thing happens, and that's that our Lord sends his apostles to actually act in this world without him. I mean, he's with them, but he's without them. What what do I mean? I mean, look at Mark 16, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up servants with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. 
they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, verse 19, the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. You've got two amazing facts here. Number one is that the Lord Jesus went up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So you could say, well, that's a marvelous thing. That's the end of the story. He came down from heaven and then he served the people of the earth and then he died, then he rose again and then he went back to heaven. So the circle is complete. Where do we come into the picture? Well, we come into the picture there in, in, in verse 20. They went out and preached everywhere. So the Lord goes into heaven and his apostles go onto the face of the earth. Now that's an astounding thought. Because you could, you, could, you could well ask yourself, well, hang on a second. If Jesus is supposed to be doing the work and it's the work of Jesus, then why are the apostles sent out onto the earth? And, and, and therein lies the proper character of Christian leadership. And that is that in the apparent separation of Christ with us, we actually find a unity and a union of soul. If I can lay hold of all of the ways that I feel as if I'm separated from God, as opportunities for me to subject myself to him and his work, I would be able to be an instrument that's more effective and more joyful. The spirituality of the Christian is the spirituality of a separation that's actually unity. I walk in hope. I act in hope. I do not see and I do not possess or feel that which I'm working for. I'm looking towards a kingdom that is to come. And I'm loving a Savior who, whom I cannot embrace with my physical arms, but whom I believe in. I see beyond the veil of, of unknowing that 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 reality that Christ seems so far from me actually is because he has sent me to do his work. And insofar as I do his work and am obedient to him on the face of this earth, he's able to work through me and work in me. And I can enjoy a union with him. That is the union of obedience. The Christian leader needs to accept this because if we don't, what we end up doing is we end up saying, well, since I cannot see him, since I cannot feel him, I cannot be an effective leader. I can't really make those bold moves that Christ is asking me to do because how do I know that he's really there? I'd like to say just a second here. You know that he's there because of faith. What do you mean, how do I know that he's there? You're never going to feel him, not until heaven. In heaven, you will feel him. You're never going to see him, not until heaven. In heaven, you will see him. But here on earth, it's not about seeing and feeling. It's about obeying what he told us to do. And this is what he told us to do. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. We can see it's really like Simon Peter having to walk on water here, isn't it? It's, it's not easy to do this. We, we could say, Lord, why don't you do it yourself? He says, well, I'm not sending you out there just to get things done. I'm sending you out there because I want you 
to grow in your faith. I want you to open yourself even greater to the glory that's laid up for you. And so I give you these impossible tasks to do and this huge charge and commandment to fulfill because by so doing it and in your obedience, there's a union with me that you cannot have otherwise. I'd like this to say to all of you, this is an opportunity. It's the holiness of hope. And it's something that the world cannot explain away and doesn't really know how to deal with. And it's the proper witness of us who are Christians to have this boldness to say no matter what happens on this face of this earth, I know that there is a kingdom to come. And no matter what you do to me and no matter what failure seems to come my way, I know that if I am faithful to him, then I shall stand in the end. I have a holy boldness because I don't belong to this world or to this world's ways. I belong to the one who is not of this world anymore and who has sent me. I come from heaven to this earth. And I have, as it, as it were, a dual citizenship. I've got my one foot on this earth and my other, other in heaven so that everything on earth can be brought into heaven and everything in heaven can be brought to this earth. And my leadership, therefore, is one of holy boldness because I've come to search out and to save what was lost in the name of Christ as Savior. Hope changes everything. But the, the consequence of that boldness or the other, the flip side of that boldness is the fact that what we don't see and we don't possess, that we have this poverty of the empty hand. The gospel leaves us in that poverty. The apostles going out throughout the world and the Lord working with them and confirming their message by accompanying signs. It's the last verse in the gospel of Mark. And in the same way, I wonder if we couldn't look at our own lives and say, glory to God for the great work that he wants to do through us, through our decisiveness, through our management, through our prudence, and also through our holy boldness. We announce to this world a message of the one who sits at the right hand of God, a message of security, of peace, of prosperity, of blessing, but one of which all of all of those things being contained in Christ the Lord. And it's his name to whom we give glory and honor and him whom we serve. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.